Yes, people, what's happening? And welcome to the Frankie Allen podcast. You are here with your host, Will Cranny, alongside the UK's most feared comedian, Frankie Allen. We haven't seen you for about seven weeks. Up. First of all, Frank, how are you today? Doing great. It's a nice day. The nice drive down here. Um, when I was going through Wavertree, anyone that lives in Liverpool, you know Wavertree. There was a huge queue, terrible backup of traffic. I thought, I'm not going to make it. This is going to take about an hour, half an hour or whatever. And then, because I used to live in the area, when you know an area, took a shortcut right down um, Bishopsgate Street, Baggett Street, came out on Smithdown Road, Upper Parliament Street. Five minutes later, we're here. So it's great, isn't it, when you've lived in somewhere, always comes in handy. Might come in handy a few years later where you go into that place which is close by and you can always take a shortcut. Fair play. You know how Frank loves his motorways and that, so he's also loving his shortcuts. Could be an Uber driver if all fails. Shortcuts. <laughs> nice one. So, yeah, just to fill you in on, on what's been happening with us, first of all, a little bit of a catch-up with me and Frank. Um, we recorded two podcasts in studio with guests. We had Phil Steele in first. We had Jazzer in second. Um, then we recorded one on our own and we haven't recorded a podcast for seven weeks. The main reason behind that is the fact of the former studio that we were recording in. This is a brand new studio, even though it doesn't look yeah. like it. Frank, tell people about the difference between this studio and the previous studio and how you feel in this studio in comparison to the old one? I feel great in this studio for one reason and one reason only. I only have to walk up two flights of stairs to the studio. Um, the previous studio was in on the 15th floor, was it? 15th floor, 15 yeah. floors of this high-rise apartment block. Strangely enough, when they were showing on the news the other day about the, um, the concert they had in Liverpool... That Tester one, yeah, in Sefton Park, you could see the two big blocks there. You know, I mean, just ridiculously high. I can't fly. I can't get in lifts. I can't kind of go on escalators. Don't. I'm very, very nervous off stage. So I just literally couldn't. I tried to walk it, and I nearly like collapsed one day trying to walk up to 15. Couldn't do 15, so I had to get into the lift. But no, just I feel. I used to. Wake up in the morning knowing it was podcast day, knowing I'd have to get in the lift <laughs> yeah. and break into sweats and panic attacks all day. And when you used to say to me, oh, we're doing a podcast on Tuesday or whatever day it was, I'd go, fucking no. You know? <laughs> yeah, honestly. Like somebody telling me I had a week to live, it was just horrible. <laughs> fucking hell. So thankfully uh, we are in a brand new podcast studio, which is basically the same podcast studio with our good friend Jacob. But we're on the ground floor. We're on the ground floor at Liverpool Podcast Studios. Shout out to Jacob and the guys here. But um, we're, we're in here now and we're going to do one podcast at least a week. That's what we've booked in for. Yeah. We're going to have guests. We're going to have weird and wonderful people. We're going to be with me and Frank, if not. And we're going to be consistent with it. And we're definitely sticking to it this time around due to the fact that, you know, as you said, it doesn't feel like you've got a week to live every time a podcast coming up. Look, you know, you know me fear of flying. I've been through it before. Phil Steele, a hypnotist, kind of cured me. I managed to get to uh, Tenerife and back. But look, I'm not happy with it at all. You know, I'm not happy with heights. I'm not happy with uh, getting inside the lift. Um, didn't we get a lift in Belfast in the hotel? Yeah. And the doors didn't. When we got to the top floor, the doors stuck, didn't they, remember? The doors didn't stuck. The, the doors they must have stuck for about stuck. five seconds and you were like panicking. And I nearly died. And after, after that, I thought, no way. There's no way I'm getting in the lift ever again. And 15 floors, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. I felt ill, really felt ill. Okay. I remember one week we got in on the ground floor and we were going up and the level of panic I was feeling was that bad. Somebody must have rang the bell. I think it was the ninth floor. He just bailed. And the doors opened and I just ran out. Yeah. Just like a rodeo horse, just running out. Just had to run out of the lift. And I climbed the rest of the five staircases, yeah. Fair play. Okay, so let's let's bring you up to scratch and, and tell you what's been happening with us and, and what's going on. So the last time we spoke to you, it was very up in the air about what was happening with events. Our heads were exploding because money was running low. 
Uh, we were worried about when we were ever going to get on stage again. And if you remember, rumor was going around that loads of fucking clubs were shutting and all mad stuff like yeah. that. Um, now we have a clear path to recovery events-wise. We've had pilot events take place in Liverpool at Wembley and stuff like that. Um, we've got a huge tour that we've just announced the first round of, which is, uh, you know, the biggest one we've done yet, including yeah. venues all over the UK, but there's even more to announce. Um, back on stage on the 5th of June at Blackpool North Pier Theatre, which is the Joe Longthorne Theatre, four weeks today. How are you feeling about it? Feeling great and the tickets are flying out. We're doing very well on tickets. I'm quite not surprised because I thought after lockdown, people would really be chomping at the bit to get out and enjoy themselves, go to clubs and pubs and be entertained. Um, everyone's just literally had enough. I've had enough of not working. I've been in all the time trying to occupy your day. And it's the little things that you miss, like you couldn't go to car wash, you had to wash the car yourself. Just, you know, you couldn't go out really at one stage, could you at all? Only the shops and back stayed in all day. So thank God we've got this, uh, we had the vaccination programme and up to 40 million people or we've given out 40 million vaccinations. I think it's 34 million um, first dose and six or seven million seconds. So we're doing fantastic and we're definitely coming out of it now. Belza, so are you looking forward to getting back on stage? That's the key. Looking forward to get back on stage. I mean, I would literally go on stage for nothing at all. I mean, I wouldn't tell you that. Don't tell all the fucking punters out there who might be that. trying to... What do you mean you wouldn't tell me that? Because <laughs> you give me 20 quid, knowing you. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah, or buy me a bit of food. <laughs> so, no, it's just like a dream come true. I can't wait to get back on. And I guarantee when I get back on stage, got to have new material. You'll be dragging me off the stage, literally. You won't be able to get me off because it's been my whole life. I'm addicted to stage work. I want to... I, I was beginning to think at one stage, is this the end of entertainment forever? You know, before... Don't forget, it was only in December last year that they came out with the vaccine. The first vaccine was developed. Before that, we didn't have a cure. Mm. So how frightening is that? That we would have had to live under this kind of, like living in the Middle Ages with the bubonic plague. Yeah. There was no cure. People were dying. People were getting ill. People on ventilators. The only safeguard that we had, the only kind of um, means to fight against it was to stay in and not contact other people. So it's been a fucking nightmare, but thank God we're coming out of it. Yeah, all looking positive. So four weeks' time, we're back. Blackpool North Pier Theatre, first show back. Two weeks after that, Father's Day. Um, we are at Grand Central Hall in Liverpool. We put the tickets out last night for that. Tickets should still be on sale now while you're watching this or listening to it if it isn't sold out already because the tickets have just gone boom for that straight away. Um, that's a Father's Day special. So one... Interesting comment that you just made was, I thought it would have been all over after the lockdown. Have Has the lockdown changed your opinion on um, social media and how, how how stuff like this and doing this podcast, uh, you know, keeps you relevant, keeps you in the public eye and actually elevates your profile? Because I think beforehand you, you've you started to fill people in, you've, you've kind of got a bit more of a grasp on what this is now. Yeah, well, look, the social media, obviously I've not done any live performances, you know, for 14, 15 months. It's been a nightmare not being on the stage anywhere at all. So I actually thought, I mean, if this was 1990 now and there was no real social media platforms, I'd just be totally forgotten. And so would every other comic that was working the circuit, every other comic in the UK. Probably. Unless they were on TV, yeah. Unless they were on the television. Yeah. But for non-TV comics, for whatever reason, maybe they haven't reached that level or they don't want to get on the TV, like myself and a couple of other comics. Um, you would have been... You're very easily forgotten. Yeah. People forget about you very easily. It doesn't matter. It takes years and years and years without social media to build a name up for yourself. It only takes a couple of weeks if you're not in the public eye, to be forgotten. And I really thought, you know, when we crashed last year, you know, we had all the dates were in March, April, May, and had to pull them all out and put them kind of like on the back burner, postpone things. I actually thought, God, you know, we're going to be forgotten here in a couple of months' time. No one will remember Frankie Allen. But actually the reverse has happened because when we stopped 
last year in March, there's been a kind of a snowball effect where people talk, you know, um, where the mouth is very, very powerful and that's a powerful, you know, it gets about and it gets around. But I do have to admit is the social media. We were doing live performances, you know, live studio things. We were doing the podcasts and um, it's just gained momentum and it's it's gone and gone and gone and snowballed and snowballed and snowballed where it's kind of exploding now just at the right time where we're back on the stage and I think that's why we're selling out everywhere. Fair play. I mean, we had a couple of lucky, well, they weren't lucky, but very, very good uh, positions literally just before the lockdown. I think it was four weeks before the lockdown. We had a video that went viral at it, like four million. Which, the, which the one, one was that? The, one, the one that's called Knock That Dickhead Out when the fella <laughs> comes up to the stage in Middlesbrough. Oh, didn't know that went viral. Yeah, it was that was a huge viral hit, yeah. Oh, just how, many, to, just, how many did it get? I think it was like four or five mil or something like that. Oh, it's not bad, is it? Fucking hell, it's not bad. Most people would live off that for their life. <laughs> Most people would be trading off that. Okay. So to anyone who's who, who's not seen that video, is it any great shakes? Is it a cool video? Well, no, what? I mean, even the viral video, the you know, the one we done a couple of years ago that went initially went viral, it was quite funny, really, in some places what had happened, but it was nothing really different than what's been happening to me all my life on the clubs. Really, stranger things and funnier situations have happened in pubs and clubs. You know, I've actually been fighting people on stage, throwing them off the stage, and then carried on with my act. You know, so I don't know. Maybe it was just whatever it was. The first viral video, people were amused by it because they hadn't seen anything like that for a long time. Yeah, maybe it was a shock effect. Well, you get sent very old school videos now on WhatsApp and stuff yeah. like that. It's kind of like. A bit of both in it. Shock effect. It's and a shock effect. People are craving that traditional comedy. People are craving traditional comedy now. You know, there's a, there's different types of comedy obviously circulating, and there is a place for alternative comic, observational comics. Um, I just happen to think the stuff that I do uh, really appeals to, to, to not just to working class people, which it does, but to everybody really. Well, it appeals to a mass audience that, like, yeah. you know, one, haven't been exposed to it before, and two, really love it and people who have grown up on that and it doesn't exist anymore. But anyway, let me ask you this question. On Father's Day in 2021, yeah. 2021 this, this year, year yeah. Father's Day, we are set to do Grand Central Hall in Liverpool. It will okay. be socially distanced, but the venue as a seated venue is 875 and we're going to do about 500 tickets. It'll sell out, no problem. Um, Father's Day 2017 is when yeah. your initial video goes viral. Okay. And it goes viral in on the Father's Day of 2018, yeah? Yeah, what happened was somebody kind of filmed me. It was Derry Matthews, a very close friend of mine. He's a good lad, a world champion boxer, brilliant boxer. Um, had a friend with him, Chris Woods, I think his name is. And he was filming me and I went over and said, don't film me while I'm doing this performance. I don't like really getting filmed. But um, he switched his phone back on. He switched it off but he must obviously put it back on and he filmed parts of my act. And then he kept it in his phone. He didn't post it, you know, for 12 months. Then he waited until Father's Day 2018. And maybe it was because it was Father's Day again. Mm. And I refer to Father's Day okay. in the video. I said, here we are, it's Father's Day. Maybe that gave it a bit more traction than really it should have gotten. It kind of like virtually kind of exploded, yeah. Sound, so three years that's been... Okay, yeah. so you've we've just literally last night announced a full UK tour. We're doing yeah. theatres all over the place. We've got everywhere booked, literally, and uh, tickets are flying out. Is this what you expected to happen? Is this, you know, three years down the line? Because yeah. I remember a lot of people at the time saying, let's see what next year brings Frank and fucking, okay. oh, we'll wait till this all blows over and all shit like that. Clearly, you've cemented yourself very much so on the you know, the circuit of national touring comedians. Um, how do you, how does, you know, first of all, how do you feel to be in this position three years down the line? And secondly, did you think this was what was going to happen? Well, look, first of all, not just me, but every working comic, every entertainer, even going to the levels of kind of like Paul McCartney or Madonna or all, you know, all these people, I've had a hiatus in the career. No one's been able to tour because of the coronavirus yeah. outbreak. So even huge international stars around the world have had to stop touring. Everything stopped. 
for at least 12 months, 14 months or whatever. So it's fantastic to be back on board and to be working again. But obviously it's sad. A lot of people, a lot of acts I know even, you know, kind of a lot of comics, a lot of singers have stopped working and they've lost heart. They've thought, well, look, you know, a year's gone by. And these are the people who've gone and got day jobs and they've given up on the singing career. They've given up on the comedy and uh, they really don't want to go back to the stage anymore, which is yeah. quite sad. So it's been very detrimental, the, the virus really, the pandemic, to comedy on every level and, and, and entertainment generally on every level around the world. So, I mean, it's a miracle really that we've, you know, the vaccination's available, the restrictions are being lifted, the death rate and the illness rate has plummeted in the UK. So it looks as though, keep your fingers crossed, from next month, we'll be flying, everyone will be fine. So it's a fantastic feeling. It's like being, obviously, like being told you can never work again and then being given a second lease of life, like a cure. You know, as though you've been cured of an illness, like being crippled and then being able to walk again. So it's great. Okay, no, but I'm talking about not nothing to do with the pandemic. I'm talking about yeah. three years down the line. Yeah. You know, you're in a position where you're in a pub in 2017. Yeah. You get filmed. You go viral in 2018. Yeah. Obviously, you thought you thought it was a flash in the pan. Many people thought it was a flash in the pan. Uh, collectively, we've managed to to really capitalize on that yeah. and maintain it. Now, in 2021, as I said, first of all, how do you feel being in a position where you've got a full UK tour that's going out? People are, are clambering to get tickets. You've yeah. got your son hosting the shows. Yeah. You've got one of your best mates on support on the shows. Yeah. You've got fucking security, lights, fucking big venues, theatres, hundred thousands of social media followers. How, how does that make you feel? No, it makes me feel fantastic. Yeah. It's what I've always dreamed of. It's a dream come true. I always knew, you know, this is what I always say to people when I'm doing these podcasts or whatever, giving advice to people. Yeah. Even as young kids who are starting off as comedy, I always say to people, look, believe in what you do. I always believed that even in my darkest days when I couldn't get any work and when people were saying... Frankie swears too much, don't give him any work, he's too blue, too controversial. I always knew in my heart that the stuff I was doing was the funniest and I knew it was a good comic, I knew my timing was good and I knew I could, you know, project an image and um, give give over um, charisma and, and, and tell a joke better or just as good as anybody else in the UK. But I was getting nowhere. So you've got to keep that in yourself. You've got to have kind of like a conviction about yourself and your own ability and just keep your finger crossed and hope. And as I say, as the years go by and you're never getting the break, you're never getting anywhere, you see other people who become stars, people who've gone on the television that I actually worked with who basically weren't much good, become multimillionaires just because they're in the right place at the time. A little bit disheartening, but what goes around coming, you will get some kind of a break if you're prepared to stick at it for the long haul, just say to yourself, look, I'm not going to be an overnight success. I'll try and I'll try and try and just keep on virtually till the day you die. Yeah, but that's a really interesting point because to, to a lot of those people, I mean, let, let's say as an example, yeah, when I was a kid, you, you're like, what, 18 or something, you're dying to be a comedian. Yeah. When I'm that age, I was like, I probably wish that I would be a footballer. Yeah, but I'm never yeah. going to be a footballer in a million years. And I know that I'm, I wasn't talented enough to make it as a footballer, right? But I still love to be one. Yeah. Obviously, you've got to have so much conviction in your own talent. But even if a footballer got to like 22 and was still a boss footballer, yeah. they would kind of, most of them are probably give up. What what kind of makes you go, fuck yeah, this, I'm carrying on and I'm going to keep playing Sunday League every weekend. I'm going to yeah. keep training. Go on. Well, I'm always kind of like... Um... You know, I was always given heart by the fact that you could see people. There was a fella, the fella used to play football for Manchester City, Tony Buck. A lot of older fellas will remember him. And he was discovered playing in a Sunday league team when he was 32 or 33. Go on. Yeah. I mean, an old man, really, yeah. by soccer standards. A fella seen him and went, what the fuck is he doing in this team? Yeah. And a couple of weeks later, he's playing for Manchester City. What, in the first team? Yeah, in the first team. And, and and played for five or six years in the first team. Fantastic player. Totally overlooked. 
by any scout and everyone that had come to see him. Um, nobody had really, everybody say a fantastic player, but nobody had seen him. And then this scout from City just happened to come along to watch someone else, saw him play and just went, who's that? You know? Yeah. And then he came along and done a trial for City straight into the first team. Fantastic player. So you're always given a bit of hope by things like that. They can kind of make it late in life. I think that um, somebody was telling me last week that I think it was Drogba, you know, Didier Drogba, the footballer, obviously, um, you know, a world star. He didn't play till he was 26 or 27. 26. 26. I mean, yeah, but when you say he that's didn't, old for he didn't play till he was... No, he didn't play as... A, he didn't become a world star. He didn't play for a premiership team. Yeah, he didn't go to he, Chelsea till he was about 26, 27. Well, that's what I'm saying. So mm. there's always hope. But even if... You know, you're not given hope by what happens to other people. You've got to have your own confidence. I always knew the stuff that I was doing was very, very funny, and I refused really to pack in. And I used to see people on the TV, and I used to say to myself, they're fucking rubbish. Mm. I'm a 100 times better than them. And that's what I still feel today. You know, there's people on the TV, multimillionaires and whatever, and hand-picked audiences, and the rubbish in my mind. I mean, you might like them, you know, but they're not my cup of tea. I really feel and I really felt over the last 30 or 40 years that the stuff I was doing was hilarious, very, very funny. And I felt as though I had a duty, really, to mm. bring it to people because I'm just one of the lads growing up, you know, had a load of mates in Liverpool, very kind of typical um, British city, just like Glasgow, London. And been around a little bit. I know and I knew what made people laugh. And I thought, what I'm doing is very, very funny. I know it appeals to an awful lot of people, a lot of a lot of, a lot of young lads and uh, a lot of young girls. So I'm not going to give up on it. I'm going to keep trying to do it, trying to do it one day, hopefully get a break. Okay, Sand, anyone who is out there right now and is listening to this or, you know, don't want to turn this into a motivational video as such, but, you know, I think it, it, it's food for thought for someone who, who might be in a position where they are really talented and they're thinking, fucking hell, I'm going nowhere with this or, you know, they might have settled for a, a job that they're not enjoying or something yeah. like that. What, 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 would be, what would be your advice to 25-year-old Frankie Allen? Well, 25-year-old Frankie Allen, I would say to you now, if you're working now, don't give up and don't listen to people. You know, I got dismissed by people a few years ago, just a few years ago. When I was a kid in my 20s, I was going around to clubs, trying to get experience in the 70s and 80s, the social clubs, very, very difficult, very hard. They were kind of an audience that didn't want you to swear. It was like the baby boom audience straight after the war. They were a little bit snobby. And uh, the number of places I went to, where I'd get pulled off stage, come off you rubbish, get off the stage. Uh, they wouldn't pay me at the end of the night because they said you're not good enough to be paid. And had a horrendous, terrible time. Went all the way through all that. But I always knew how good I was. And you've got to have that conviction. You've got to say to yourself, if you believe in yourself, why should you work for three or four years and say, okay, yeah, I've tried didn't, nothing happened, didn't get a break. I'll pack in now and I'll start working in, a, in a, a factory or something. No, no, believe in yourself and carry on until the day you die. That's what I would say to people. Have the conviction of what you're doing is, um, is the right thing to do and believe in yourself. Fair play. And when it actually happens, does it feel like you've reached the finish line? What does it feel like to finally run that race and go, fucking hell, I feel yeah. vindicated now? Well, is it a relief? Is it... Happiness is it? Oh my God! Thank so thank you for trusting you. Or you know, how do you feel? It's at that a point? kind of a bittersweet thing in a way, because although I was working for years and years and years and never made it, you know, I've got people in my family. My mother never saw me make it. Died. My dad never saw me make it. Really, died. So and my brother died. So it's difficult. It's hard. It's bittersweet because. I could have made it. I was good enough like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, just never got a break. I'm not bitter. You know, I'm doing well now. And this is why I always say to people, don't give up on your dreams of what, you know, there could well have been someone. There's probably someone in the UK somewhere that might be 100 people. Say, for instance, a kid who was playing football for a local team or even for a school that was very good. And when he was 17 or 18, a scout from Man United or Chelsea or Liverpool, Everton or something, somebody was come to watch the school team. Yeah. 
and he had the flu and he didn't turn well, up. Well, I heard the story day. about this lad who, who was supposed to go on trial with Everton and his mum and dad took him away to Tenerife instead. Yeah, and I don't know the full story <laughs> with that. Yeah, but who is that story about? It's about you, <laughs> but with the scouts coming to see you specifically. Yeah. Really, really? Yeah, I think so. Well, I'm sorry about no, that. No, it wasn't. It wasn't more like they weren't this coming to see Will. the team. It was coming to see me, yeah. Will was a good footballer as a kid. <laughs> yeah, don't 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 be saying that too loud. People might disagree yeah, with you. Well, Go whatever. Me, we got this holiday. Me and his mum went to Tenerife. So the scout that was coming from Everton to watch his team, he could have got picked out, but obviously he couldn't because he was in Los Cristianos. Yeah, it went the team. It was me specifically, just, just for well, reference. It was you, and I'm sorry about that, but it's all too late now. <laughs> nice one. So I might start playing in the park again and see if someone picks me up at 32, because I'm 32 soon. Okay. I'll be like the next Tony Buck. Tony Buck, yeah. So yeah, 2018, yeah. Um, flash in the pan, according yeah. to the majority of people. Um, three years down the line, yeah. doing a full UK th- tour, including, yeah. you know, huge theatre shows, stuff like that. Um, did you know in, when you initially go was viral in 2018 that it was going to be sustained? Did you have that feeling? Well, no, or? I didn't really realise what was going on at all, really, until kind of like after the video, people started stopping me in the street and things. The video went viral. My phone virtually exploded. You know, I could, it just did, it didn't stop ringing with people asking me to do shows, and then you took over managing me. Um, been like a bit of a kind of like fancy, you know, it's been a dream, really. Been, uh, you know, sometimes felt as though it wasn't real. But, yeah, the sustainability of it, obviously, um, is because now I'm in the public eye through the podcasts, the live broadcasts, and going on tour and the internet in general, really. And uh, some of the subsequent, we've done other videos, which have done well as well. You know, and I've gone viral. You just mentioned that one about uh, that one. I'll knock you out. The one that we did, did up in uh, Middlesbrough. Mm. Yeah. So it's great, you know. And there's always what you've always said. If people are interested in you, they're kind of fan of yours. They want to see material pertaining to you. So they want to see little clips all the time where you've been. And there's a clip. So the podcast has been. Uh, sorry, the vlogs that we do. Yeah. When, you know, we're travelling down to Norwich and we're in the car with Georgie Wormold, he's driving, we're in this big van and it's dead funny, yeah. you know. Um, we're driving and, and you're filming me at night and it, none of it's kind of orchestrated, none of it's false and phony. It's not as though we're playing the part, we're trying to be funny. These things actually happened. When we came back from Norwich, we had to go to Newmarket, then to Cambridge then to Coventry, and then on the way home. Anyone knows things, knows the way it is down that way. But George, he's a great lad and everything. He was driving a van, but sometimes he's a bit dozy. I didn't know where the fucking hell we were going. And we were going round Newmarket. We must have gone round the town of Newmarket <laughs> yeah. four or five fucking times. Yeah. He went round Newmarket more times than a jockey. <laughs> and we had a good laugh over that because I said, George, yeah. you know, where's the, where's the signs for Cambridge? And he went... Oh, hang on, there's a sign here. And it was so funny. He was going completely the wrong way. And in the end, we saw a sign on the road, London, 50 fucking miles. He was taking us to London. We were nearly in the Channel Tunnel. So you're filming all that. I'm not really aware that we're getting filmed. When we called it at the service station down in Luton, um, you know, to get Greg's pasties, which we've got to think about because they're always fucking freezing. We were moaning about the pasties and uh, nobody wanted to pay for the pasties. So I was pretending to limp to Greg's. George is behind me, tiny shoelace. In the end, you had to pay for the pasties. Um, yes. But it was all on film, and it's very, very <laughs> funny. And I think people appreciate, people appreciated the fact that it wasn't kind of staged. It wasn't orchestrated. It just happened the way it did. And it's very natural, and that's what made it really, yeah. But I'll say, yeah, the vlogs are going to be coming back to you very soon. We've got a vlog that needs to go out about... Frankie getting his tattoo done. On that note, people on the podcast might not know about this because yeah. we've we've talked about this on live videos and they've been posted on socials and stuff, but you got a tattoo for the first time in your life? Well, apart from your head. I've never had a tattoo in my life. Any baldies out there like me, look at this now. This is scalp pigmentation. You know, thousands of little dots of tattoo on my head, which gives you the appearance of a head of hair. Quite happy with this. And uh, never had a tattoo on my body. All these fellas get, you know, Liverpool, Everton, a local football team, Bristol Rovers across the Some chest. Some fellas got Frankie Allen's cartoon on There's his hand. There's a fella up in the northeast. has got Frankie Allen on his wrist. 
that's great. That you know what a great. Uh, that's a privilege for me. It's that, a cartoon. Are you? That's so mad, isn't it? With it's, your with a signature. Cartoon. <laughs> but friend of ours, John Muscat, good mate of ours now, who's been to a few of the shows. Uh, he runs a tattoo parlor in Liverpool called Devil's Cove Studio in Anfield, and he invited me down for a tattoo free of charge. So we went down there and uh, got this fantastic tattoo that I've got on now, and uh, got it in Spanish. You know, just for a change, just to be a little bit different. And I've had a lot of comments about it. It's great, yeah. And what's it say? What's it, what is the it? The tattoo says... Go ahead, show people. Well, where's the camera? Which camera are we Which on? Which camera are you on to this one? Okay. The camera there okay. says, Mi unico ico. Yeah. My only son. Mi sangre, underneath for any Spanish speakers. My only son, my blood, or really my flesh and blood, it translates as. And there's Will's date of birth through the middle. So I'm quite happy with this. It's been great. And I've had no scabbing. It's been fantastic. You Looks know, from boss, day one, From day one, when it was tattooed on, didn't itch me, didn't pain. They'd done a fantastic job. And I recommend um, Devil's Cove Studio in Liverpool to anybody who's looking for a, fa for a fantastic tattooist. It's a nice homage to me, that, isn't it? What, what the hell made you decide to get that? Well, look, I've only got one son. Yeah. You know, I mean... There's nobody else in my life. So why would I kind of like, what am I going to say? Got a, a bird's name. <laughs> I, I, I haven't got a bird. Yeah. So what am I going to, what am I going to put on it? Yeah, fair play. A bird that I used to go out with fucking 10 years ago <laughs> or a scrubber's name or something, you know, you know, your mum and dad are dead. Yeah. You know, I've got my brothers and sisters, obviously, but your own son, you're never going to get closer to anyone that's your own son. So that's the, something that, you know, I've got on, you know, Tommy Grave, really. Brilliant. Fucking hell. I'm made up with it. Are you made up with it? Why are you made up with it, didn't you? Yeah, it's cool. That's nice. Okay. Fuck, you know what me and you are like? We're like cat and dog all the time fighting yeah, now. So it's still, like... still blood relation, aren't we? You know. <laughs> yeah, that's like me saying like, oh yeah, my second cousin, like I think he's all right, but I got him on my chest. To call him just like a blood relation. Like, you, like fucking hell. Well, where's this fucking going? Look. <laughs> People put, you know, normally they put people on tattoos on the people who've passed away. Yeah. But obviously, I can't do that. You know, we're all alive at the moment, thank God. So obviously, you're the closest to me. So you're on my chest. Fair play. Okay. I'll, I'll take it off if you want. I'll get it rubbed off. <laughs> Fuck off. When we were actually in the studio, Frank was saying, Yeah. Uh, uh, I, 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 does it hurt to get these lasered off? I was thinking, fucking hell, you thinking about getting it taken off straight away, but at no, least you like it. I was just, no, I'm never going to get it taken yeah. off now. I was just interested, you know, I was asking, I think it was Jay, wasn't it, the guy yeah, that was doing it? Yeah, both good guys, and Anthony as well. Jay and Anthony, fantastic guys down there. You want to see the size of these guys as well. I think that uh, John runs the security firm as well. So you see by the size of them that nobody's not got, nobody's going to kind of like uh, not pay them, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, no, I was curious as to whether the way things are, you know, with people got, you know, finishing with the partners. If any or anyone had ever been in and said, look, uh, I've just, he said, yeah, we've had people coming in. A girl came in and said, I got this done last week, but I just finished with me fella, take it off. It hadn't even healed. Fucking hell. You know, it takes a few weeks to heal. And it goes scabby. So, yeah, there's all that to it. I was just curious about the history of tattooing and the way it is and, and how easily it is to be removed. Very difficult even now with all the lasers that you've got to get anything removed, to get a tattoo removed. You're always left with kind of a little bit of print on you, aren't you? Yeah, sounds. Um, would you get another one? Um, I'm not sure really. Well, no, I just... I think if we get another one, it'll lose the impact of this one, if you know what I mean. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, so to anyone who has just joined us or has missed the first part of the episode, uh, all of our tour tickets are on sale now. You can get them at skittle.com. The majority of them are on there. If not, they're at www.frankieallen.co.uk. The tickets are flying out. We're, you know, very, very grateful to anyone who's bought a ticket and is coming along to a show. First show back, 5th of June. I mean... How do you see that show going? Because last time you hadn't worked for six months and you got on stage. Were yeah. you nervous? Are you nervous about going back on stage at all? Well, not really. I'm not nervous about going back on stage. Kind of like um, we hadn't worked that we for about eight or nine months and we'd done an open air show. Yeah. 
doing a show in Stanley Park in Liverpool, and it's fantastic. And I don't get nervous. I never get nervous on stage. But a few hours before, I started thinking, I wonder if I've gone rusty because I haven't been on stage for nine months. Um, would I be the same? Would it be the same? Would I be able to just stand on stage and all the material comes back to me? Would I be stammering and stuttering or would I still have the kind of like the flow of, uh, you know, of how to tell a gag and how to, and if somebody starts heckling me, would I still be just as sharp to get back on them? And what I found out was it's just like riding a bike. Once you can do it, the first couple of minutes, gone on stage and straight away, all the material's coming back to me, um, all the situational stuff, picking on people, watching the audience to see what's going on, who can I pick on, who can I slaughter, really, yeah. have a go at Savage. And uh, it was a great night, really enjoyed it, yeah. And that was an open-air show. But you've got to give a bit of credit to the audience. The audience were exceptional that night. They were great, weren't they? Mm. And it was in Liverpool. It was great, fantastic. In the summer, 8th of August, so last year. So I actually think, I mean, touch wood, we'll be okay when we do our first show in Blackpool, the North Pier on the 5th of June. I've got a feeling that as soon as I get back on stage, pick the mic up, um, it's got to be okay. It'll just be as normal. Although this, they're a bit distanced, aren't they? Yeah, the the capacity of the venue is 1,500, 14, yeah. 4, 7 or something like that. Not that anyone's interested in that, but that's my job. And we're, we're allowed to do 735 in there, so... They are quite spaced out. There's quite spaced out, and we've got to kind of keep keep it legal. We can't get people in um, above what you're allowed. So, and they've got to be spaced out as well. So, no, but we've done it before. We've done one last year. Do you think the atmosphere is going to be electric this time around? I mean, as you said, last year, as I'm sure you were going to say, yeah. last year, a lot of the socially distanced shows or some of the later socially distanced yeah. shows weren't that good. They were a little bit like, because people Very were under difficult. the clouds. I mean, remember October, we've done the Clippy Club. Hartlepool. Uh, up in Hartlepool. And it was very difficult, really. At the time in October, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the news media and the papers, and it, it was just saturated coronavirus, so on, thousands of people are dying and all that. And it started to create not a bad atmosphere, but an atmosphere of fear, really. And we did this show, and you could sense in the audience, and Jimmy Kilvington, to be fair to him, who's a local lad, he's only from Middlesbrough himself down the road. Um, when we first walked in, everybody had to sanitise. People were sitting like, I think it was two, to a table, then had to be six feet away, another couple of people and whatever. And everybody was wearing masks until we came out. Um, you couldn't actually order a drink at the bar. You had to hold up a spoon, if you remember. That was Chesterfield, different gaff. Well, how did we order a drink uh, at so, Middlesbrough? Uh, on some kind of app, on Hartlepool. Yeah, but it's still It's all still weird anyway, drafting. it was very hard. You know, and there was an atmosphere of kind of like people were a bit down, you could tell. So Jimmy Kilbington went out and it took him a long time to break the ice, which is very, very difficult anyway. Jimmy does a great job, he's a brilliant comedian. And he'd done it and I went on and they were okay, they were fine in mm. the end. But I thought, this can't go on forever. I mean, if this lasts like more than another six or seven months, you're gonna people are going to start being mentally affected by it all. Yeah, and that's why I hope when we get back in, and I'm sure it will happen, People are going to be buzzing. People are going to be buzzing to get back out. And, I think so. I think people it. are getting excited already. I mean, you've already seen, um, you know, some of the pubs and clubs that have opened without door uh, seating um, have been absolutely rammed. People, you know, people want to be out. And even people who never went out that were in, you know, for been in for years, these people that don't really bother socialising and they stay at home doing do it yourself all the time. I think they're gonna come out as well because you know, freedom, it's great to know. When you know that you can get in your car and you can drive to London or drive to Glasgow or fly to Tenerife or whatever, you take it for you kind of take it for granted because it's always there. And I think people felt a little caged, a little hemmed in when they knew that they couldn't even go to the corner. They had to stay in for months on end. And it's a bit scary when, when it gets to that stage. So I think you're going to get kind of an explosion of um, freedom, really, where people will really appreciate the fact that they can go out and they'll start going out. They'll start going to shows. They'll start going watching singers and comics and they'll start going to theatre. They'll start watching plays 
and they'll start travelling around the Great Moor, start going on holiday. It's going to be great. Yeah, as you said, I think people are just ready to go for it now. And what we've what we've decided to do is we've reformatted the show during the lockdown so that you know it's bigger, better, better production. It's just more of a spectacle, and I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. Do you think we're going to have the best show in the UK? I actually think we've already got the best show in the UK. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Um, without trying to like blow my own trumpet or blow your trumpet or Jimmy Kilbington, our support comedian, we've had a couple of support comedians. Jimmy Kilbington seems to really compliment the whole show yeah. when he comes out because he's young and he looks well. You know, he's a good-looking fella and he's an ex-boxer and things. So he appeals to like a younger crowd, whereas obviously I'm older but it, it kind of like brings my age down a little bit, if you know what I mean. It, it, it makes it me kind of look the as though... the age of the show. The age of yeah, the show. Yeah. It makes me look as though I'm kind of like contemporary. Yeah. And not it just, looks like a modern show. Like yeah. a modern show. Yeah. Not an echo from the 70s or 80s. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if I put an old comic on, yeah, you know, a fella in an old suit who's in his 60s and 70s and he's coming out doing old material, I would look like an old comic. <laughs> Got you. I don't think it'd look like an old comic, but... You know what, it, I know it, what you're it saying. It wouldn't be as good. I know what you're saying. So I think, and you look at what people, when they come to a Frankie Allen night, it is a fantastic night. I know I can name you thousands of comics, all the comics I know, they go on stage and they do half an hour or 40 minutes. Mm. That's it. That's the end of the show. Then they fuck off home. Okay. You know, Jimmy Kilvinson goes on. He's on stage for half an hour. Getting the crowd, fantastic. You go on, MC, and you do a couple of gags, warming the crowd up. I go on. I do three sessions. I go on, half an hour, 40 minutes, however long it takes. If it's going down well, I'll do the 40 minutes. Then we have a break. Then I go back on, do another half an hour, which is fantastic, unprecedented. Nobody does the two spots. Then, you know, we get an encore. They're always shouting for more after our shows, which is brilliant. I'll go back on and do another 20 minutes, 25 minutes. So talk about value for money, it really is. And it's a fantastic night. So I don't know whether it goes it goes on for 8 till 11 or 9 till 10. Whatever it is, it's a very... People have told me what a fantastic, enjoyable evening. And you've had comments. We get comments all the time. Once people have seen the show, you know, there's a shock factor in the show because I'm yeah. so outrageous and uh, I'm picking on people, savaging people in the crowd. But that's why I'm the UK's most feared comedian. And that's what people want. The novelty of it is so different than, than even a mainstream comic or an ulti comic who just stands there talking about situations, talking about gags and sit telling jokes with a punchline and saying, oh, yeah, you know, remember, uh, I remember I was in Greenland last year and had a green book, a red book and a blue one. I went into the library telling guys like that. I'm savaging people. I'm picking on anybody that gets up and walks past. So I'm keeping people at this very high level of fear, but ready to laugh with relief. And it's working fantastic. So, yeah, we're really, I'm really optimistic for the future with the show. We've got the best show in the UK without a doubt. Fair enough. And as I said, you can get your tickets at frankieallen.co.uk or on Skiddle. We've got about 15 minutes left with you. So I just want to talk to Frank about daily life and, and what's, what's been happening. As yeah. you said, people are keen to get out at the moment. Have you been out? Have you been out for the chill in, in the, uh, the open air now that it's back open? Yeah, what I try to do really is kind of like, what's the word? Um, eat up the day. You know, it's no good if you've got nothing to do. Obviously, I'm a comic and I work in the evenings. There's no work now as we speak at the moment, even though we're opening up again in a month's time. So what you've got to do, if you're not doing anything during the daytime, do things. Normally go for a breakfast in the morning with a friend of mine, Young Dave. You'll know Young Dave. A lot of people who watch the uh, the vlogs will know Young Dave. Me and Young Dave will go and get something to eat. Um, in the afternoon, I'll go and see you, go and see Will, my son and manager, and we'll do a live, which is similar to this, similar to a podcast, but actually doing it live. People are coming on, asking questions. That's fantastic. And then I may go shopping, you know, buy a bit, little bit of food, whatever, for myself. And we've done a lot, you know, really, when you consider we've been off, you know, we've been off the, off the rails, really. We've been off track for so long. We couldn't really do 
the vlogs because we weren't working. So you couldn't film me going to a club. You couldn't film me going to Yorkshire or Scotland in the van with George. You couldn't film me going down to Norwich because we had no work. Yeah. So we've had to kind of, you've done the vlog, which is coming out very soon um, with the tattoo in the um, Devil's Cove studio. You've done the dog, the house, the, the vlog, the house tour in my house where you filmed. Yeah, going to be fair, I think. And very popular. So they were smashing we've been it, like... quite inventive, really, where we've kept the momentum going and kept interest in the Frankie Allen and James Kilbington and, and Will Cranny vibe and brand, really. So we've been very successful. But as I say, on a personal level, I'm just trying to keep myself occupied all the time. Decent. Um, so what, what's next? What, what what do you see when we go back into this tour, which is, as I said, yeah. in weird and wonderful places that we haven't been to, to before, yeah. in venues that are going to wow a lot of people, that are going to wow ourselves probably, and is a real step up. What, well, what do you see next? Well, look, nobody knows the future. I mean... I haven't got a crystal ball, and nobody in the world actually foresaw this pandemic or a lot of people would have got insured against it and things. So it's, we don't really know what's around the corner. But, you know, if God spares us, I actually think that, you know, things will really explode for us if you, in a good way, if you know what I mean, that, that there's going to be more and more and more demand to watch the shows and you, people comment. Anybody's free to look at the comments on the internet some of the fantastic compliments that we have after people have been to a live audience, to one of our live shows, they literally can't get enough of it and they yeah. want another one straight away. So we're doing great. And my prediction really is from now till Christmas, it's just going to go up and up and up and up and up so that um, we'll be flying around in January on a private jet. Oh, on that note... We got offered to go to Jersey on a private jet, didn't we? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you getting a bit hot under the collar then when I mentioned that. No, I'll go on it. I'll go on it. You know, okay. we will We will go when we sort the date out. I'll clip this and send it to the lad if you want. Well, okay, send it to him. I'll definitely go. <laughs> but I made it to Tenerife. I might have to get hypnotised yeah. by Phil Steele again, but I'll definitely go. I've been to Jersey many times. A lovely place. Okay, what's it like? And it's great. Um a lot of Liverpool people in Jersey, hundreds of Scousers for some reason. All the Scousers in the 70s and 80s, a lot of them went to Bournemouth. I think a lot of them were kind of like, uh, you know, wanted wanted men. Okay. So they all went to live in Bournemouth. Why Why would they go to Bournemouth? No idea. I think a few Scousers went to Bournemouth in the 70s and 80s. They liked it. So everybody, the word got round. If you're going out, if, you, if, you, if you're leaving Liverpool for the summer and you want a summer job, go to Bournemouth. So everybody went down there. But then in the 80s and 90s, they kind of moved to Jersey. So there's a pub in Jersey in St. Helier called the Cambridge. And you'd actually think you're in the middle of Liverpool. Okay. All the Scousers get in there every night. Everybody that's anybody that lives in Jersey, there's a Scouser and there's thousands of them. I mean, I've done shows out there. I've done two or three shows um, for Liverpool Supporters Club in yeah. Jersey. And... Uh, I know there's an Everton supporters club out there as well. There's that many scousers out there. And it's a funny thing, really, because Jersey's been in the news, hasn't it, because of this uh, fishing dispute and the French fishermen yesterday trying to blockade St. Helier and the British centre, this gunboat down there and stuff's been going on. But normally, um, people in Jersey or the scousers in Jersey anyway have a great relationship with the French because when Liverpool are playing in Europe in the Champions League, what the lads was telling me, they get the ferry over to France and they hire a coach from one of the French companies to drive down to Italy or drive to Spain. Okay. You know, from wherever Liverpool are playing. So it's strange, isn't it? Yeah. Mad. Yeah. So as you said, we might end up on a private jet sooner than you, sooner than jet, you think. Get a lot of pictures taken. I'll be like... Um, <laughs> like P. Diddy. I'll be like P. Diddy or Dr. Dre in my private jet with a big cigar. And obviously, we'll have to blast that all over the internet. Uh, just a few final questions, topical stuff. Um, Billy Joe Saunders is fighting against Canelo Alvarez this weekend. Okay. Uh, Tyson Fury thinks it's going to be one of the greatest upsets in boxing history. Yeah. Uh, he thinks Billy Joe Saunders is going to beat Alvarez. Have you got any thoughts on it? What do you think? Um, I mean, you never really know, do you? These days, there's been so many upsets. You can't really predict a fight anymore, can you? Yeah. The way things are, all I can say is let the best man win. 
Nice one. And Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua. Looks like it's going to be made very soon. Are you excited to see that? Very excited about it. I've met Tyson. Uh, when I say I've met Tyson Fury, I've worked with him in Walkden Snooker Club. Um, but he, I mean, I just couldn't believe how tall he is. Yeah. A friend of mine, Jimmy Price, uh, who's a champion boxer, he used to train with um, John Fury, Tyson Fury. Well, John dad. Fury's actually coming down to Runcorn very soon. Tony Morell's got him on. Oh, has he? Yeah. Yeah, if you oh, want to go great. along. We'll go along and if meet we're not, him. Yeah, I'd not like working, yeah. If we're not working, we'll go yeah. and see John Fury. Yeah. I believe he's a lovely lad. And Tyson is as well. When I saw Tyson Fury, couldn't believe how tall he is. Yeah. Absolutely like a giant. But I believe, obviously, he's a nice guy. He's a great guy. From what I've heard, you know, Pod told me, we made uh, Paul O'Dwyer, who runs Walkden Snooker Club. He said he's a great fella. He was not big at it at all. But we've actually had the privilege to meet Anthony Joshua, ourselves, the two yeah. of us down in Coventry and I've worked him a couple of times up in Sunderland and in, in Birmingham. Again, he's a Watford lad, great guy, doesn't try to be big time, he'll speak to anyone, lovely lad. So, you know, it's pity one of them has to lose. Yeah, that's so, true. Because they're both, they're both friends of ours. Yeah, I've, well, I've not met Tyson Fury myself, um, but from what people tell me, he's meant to be a really lovely guy. One of the guys, Brendan Lyons, who does security for us in Cardiff, He's his, his personal bodyguard, and he said he's a, a great fella. He's a great fella. But Anthony was lovely when we met him, wasn't he? Is that the Lions Den Security? There you go. Yeah. Shout Lions, out Lions Den Security. Lions Den Security in, in Cardiff. Fantastic lads. Great security. When I did the show for me, I felt like Elvis, the way they looked after me. That's down in Cardiff. We go down to the Vale Sports Arena. We've got another show booked there. It makes me laugh because you think about, like, while you've been off during the lockdown, Frank, you're probably one of the one of the only artists yeah. who literally is in constant contact with venue owners every single day on the phone to them, aren't you? Well, not not. I feel like you're in the same boat. Not really. I mean, I speak to Peter Griffiths, who runs Vale Sports Club in Cardiff, and he's a great guy. Lovely to get great to get on with, and it's great, you know, when people are in the business, you've got a really strong connection. Okay. Even your mate Pete, you know, he's been in the business all his life, and I feel comfortable. It's like young Dave. He's a very close friend of ours. He's um, he's kind of like uh, he worked in a the theatre and the TV all his life, and he's kind of semi-retired now. He comes to a lot of our shows, but you know you, you've got something common with him. You know you can speak to him because he knows a lot of the people that I know and that you know. And Jimmy Price, who's ex-boxer, you know, world champion boxer, he's knows and he's worked with a lot of people that I've worked with. I've worked with all the top boxers of all the world. You know. Tim Witherspoon's a friend of ours and things. So I was, I was texting Tim. Oh, really? The other day. To say what? I sound like I'm fucking name dropping here, but I'm, oh, def no, Tim I'm definitely not. Guy, yeah. Basically, okay, so Jake Paul sorry, is fighting against uh, someone, I can't think off the top of my head, but Floyd Mayweather's fighting against Logan Paul. Okay. So Floyd Mayweather, you know who he is, obviously. Yeah. Logan Paul's one of the biggest YouTubers in the world. Jake Paul has kicked off on Floyd Mayweather. Do you want to fight Took his you? hat off him. They had a bit of like back and forth. Tim Witherspoon said, let me at any of these YouTubers. I'll punch their heads in. Really? I'll whoop their ass or something like that, he was saying. So I text him saying, Tim, I'll, I'll try and hook it up. Who do you want? So he was like, any of them. So. And are you going to try and... I'll see what I can do. Yeah, will they? I mean, eat your heart out, Don King. We're the top promoter <laughs> of the world now. Nice one. Um, okay, any last couple of things that you want to touch on before we, we head? Anything you want to say? or All I want to say is what I say to everybody, really, when we do these podcasts. Anybody who's still feeling down during this lockdown, people forget about the psychological effect it's had on everybody. People are fucking fed up being locked up, locked in not being able to go out, not being able to go for a pint. So it's heartbreaking. Also, the financial aspect of it, a lot of people, yourself included, a lot of people fell between the cracks, haven't been able to claim any money from the government. So people have been kind of like living on a wing and a prayer, literally don't know, some people don't know where the next meal is coming from. But thank God we're coming out of it. And I always say to people, try and communicate, communicate. If you live on your own, speak to the postman, speak to people, go out and have a walk in your street, see someone in the park, have a chat with people that you don't even know and you'll feel a lot better. But, you know, thank God we're coming out of it. It's only one of four weeks now. Um, I mean, the 21st of June, that's what, six weeks away, seven weeks away. And like, we'll all be walking around then as though it's 1991. 
It'd be fucking amazing. I'm going to get pissed in Blackpool, you know. I'm well, going to get yours to take yeah. us to the show. What I think I might do on the 21st of June, go on. when it's kind of back to normal, I'm going to get a wig, put this wig on. Yeah. I'm going to get this, like, tracksuit, very loud, with, like, yellow and red flashes yeah. on it, and uh, walk around and pretend for that day that it's 1990. <laughs> we've got a show on the 20th of June it's in Liverpool if you want to get your tickets they're on sale now if they're not already sold out because they're going to fly we put them on sale last night at midnight on the 20th does the legislation change can people go out at midnight after 12 o'clock obviously <laughs> okay yeah. it's all you know the way they've done it they've done it so that uh, everything kicks in to the second you know so after 12 o'clock you know the 21st of June you'd be able to do what you want really Oh, so we'll see. Before we go, um, obviously, we have now booked into the studio to do one podcast per week. And what I would like to say is, first of all, we apologize that we haven't been consistent with this over the last six weeks or so. One, it was a bit of a financial burden for us because we have had no fucking we work. We made no fucking money <laughs> yeah. for like 18 months. Um, but two, I want to say thank you for sticking with us and for watching your stuff and, and watching this stuff. And if you do enjoy the podcasts and the, and the videos and, and YouTube and, and the vlogs and all the rest of it, please do give us a thumb up, get subscribed to the channel or please just give us a nice review. It'd be lovely. But what I would like to say is we've now got a way that you can donate and support the channel and that is through Buy Me A Coffee, which will be linked in the podcast description or on the YouTube description. And we've been getting a load of people who've been buying coffees. And as Frank said earlier, we uh, have this thing about cold Greg's pasties that we get on the road. So the cold Greg's pasties, if you want to buy us a Greg's pasty, it's basically a donation to the channel. And these people have bought us some Greg's pasties last time round. Craig, who says, stops getting upset about the Harry Redknapp banter or I'll fill you in. Okay. We've got Gary Mason who bought us three Greg's pasties. He said, nice one, lads. Gary Mason very often comes on. Yeah. Andy Semwell, who says, Frank and Will have a great breakfast on me and enjoy your bank holiday weekend, guys. Have a great time. See you soon. He bought us six Greg's pasties. No, sorry, 11 Greg's pasties. We've got Deborah Gibson who bought us one and Big Keith. So if you do want to support the channel, buy one, us a Greg's pasty. Get, get us a Greg's pasty. We'll if shout it out. Buy me a warm. Greg's pasty, that'd be great. Yeah. Because most of them, all over the UK, places we've gone to, I don't know why, maybe it's because people are so uh, afraid now, aren't they, of selling things that you can go. There's been a few cases, I think, that McDonald's got sued over giving somebody a coffee in the States that burned the lips or something. Like that <laughs> okay. So I think it's litigation. People are a bit worried. And that's why a lot of these places now sell you things that should be warm. Used to be warm a few years ago. Now, fucking freezing. Have you enjoyed doing this podcast today? Thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been great. Nice to see Jake. Nice to see yourself, obviously. And uh, time has flown. We've been on here for over an hour. It just seems like 10 minutes because we've enjoyed it. Don't forget, everybody, if you can, get up to Blackpool on June the 5th. Got to be a fantastic night. Frankie Allen's show. Be the best night of your life. Tickets are still available, although they're flying out. Be careful. Belter, as I said, if you're listening to this, if you're watching it, whatever, please do give us a support. You know, give us a thumb up, get yourself subscribed. If you want to donate, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Frankie Allen. That will be linked in the description, whether you're on iTunes, whether you're on Spotify, whether you're on YouTube, whatever you're on. And finally, you got to come and get tickets to a live show. Skiddle.com, type in Frankie Allen, go to frankieallen.co.uk. Frank, tell them you've got a minute and a half to plug a Frankie Allen show. How good is the show going to be when it gets back Look, on the road? the show when it's back on the road is going to be fantastic. I know Jimmy Kilbo has been experimenting with some new stuff. I've got new material. The show in itself, the show that we were taking round the country before the pandemic was so popular, so much in demand, selling out everywhere. Things are exploding now. It's going to be fantastic. We're selling out all over the UK. And we guarantee you go to our show you will never forget that night. It's going to be the next night, best night of your life. Right. Finally, massive thank you for you for listening or watching. We've really, really enjoyed doing this today. I hope you've enjoyed tuning in and watching or listening to us. Thank you so, so much for your support. From me, Will Cranny, peace out. I really appreciate it, Frank. Any last words? Last words? <laughs> that sounds like I'm going to get, like, fired in squad. <laughs> going to shoot me. Okay, any last words? Go on. No. Just all the best to everybody. Be careful out there. We've still got to be careful. You know, 
if you can get vaccinated. If you can't, you know, whatever you don't want to get vaccinated, whatever you want to do, it's up to you. But be careful out there and communicate with everyone. Make yourself feel better talking if you've got any problems. But hopefully we might all catch you up on one of the shows. Like, subscribe, be sound, and we'll see you soon in a bit. Big thanks. Take it easy. Thank you.